I was gonna bring it because I did I share with you guys my like big like galaxy brain theory that hit me. So I think this whole Twitter thing that he's doing, it's all a ploy because what he's really focused on is he thinks he's the only person who can lead the charge of humanity against AI taking over us. And that's his main goal. And he realizes that the only way that he can do this is to take over politically and he has to play by the old system. And so he saw how Trump did it and he reverse engineered it. He doesn't believe any of this stuff really. Some of it he believes and stuff, but his main goal is to get political power so he can be in charge and he's the only person who can lead the fight against AI. So Elon Musk is Sarah Connor from Terminator. Yes. People vs. Algorithms is a show about detecting patterns in media, technology, and culture. I'm Brian Marcy, writer of the Rebooting Newsletter and a podcast of the same name. And each week, I'm joined by longtime media executive, investor, and advisor Troy Young, who writes the People vs. Algorithms newsletter, as well as Alex Schleifer of Universal Entities. This podcast is produced by Jay Sparks of Pod Help Us. We're closing out the year with a series of conversations that look at the trends that will define these very patterns in media technology and culture in the year ahead. This week, we start with what else? Artificial intelligence, which has obsessed us for the last several weeks. You know, for all of the obsessiveness that we have online about SBF and Elon, the most important moment of the year might just have happened at 2.38 Eastern on November 30th when Sam Altman tweeted, today we launched ChatGPT, try talking with it here and he included a link to the chatbot, which uses artificial intelligence to spellbinding results. Using chat GPT is a holy shit moment, and tech hasn't had many of these holy shit moments over the last several years. And that might be why its leading figures seem to be spending a lot of time online picking fights and insulting people who aren't libertarians. But chat GPT, it should be said, is just a test project. A more sophisticated version is coming. And looking at AI like chat GPT and other tools like it, you know, you start to realize that you're looking at the Michael Douglas on the beach holding that massive cell phone and Wall Street version of this technology. And that's both thrilling and and scary. And I think 2023 is going to be the year where we both fall in love again with the magic that can be technology. But we also confront the very immediate thirty questions around topics like misinformation, the nature of ownership and copyright. And oh, by the way, will those of us who have mostly typed words for a living have to be retrained to do something else? There are also the grand existential questions that will come to the fore. Like, is this going to replace us all? This week, we consider people versus AI. So we're going to do a series of conversations at the end of the year. It's a little bit of a podcast cliche, but not too much. And we want to start off by looking at, well, we want to look at topics that are going to be, you know, big talking points in media and culture and technology in 2023. I think we should start there because A, it's timely. B, it's extremely important. C, this is a podcast about media and advertising, and yeah. I think it's going to rock those worlds. So yeah, I, let's but start ju- there. Just to set the, the, the table, so to speak, explain why you're going to be right about this one being a big deal in 2023 when you weren't right about Web3. 
Hmm. Well, I mean, I, I think it's too early to call the Web3 one. <laughs> to be. Oh, that's how you know someone wasn't right. There's like, well, it's too early. You know, I was listening to a podcast with, the, what's his name, Draper, uh, the venture capitalist. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's got his own university. He's it's very bullish. He, he continues to be very bullish on Bitcoin, as do I, by the way. So I, I think it's a little early to uh, to count that one as a... Okay, uh, fine. But AI, I am agree. I think, Alex, you do agree that AI... By the way, Brian, Brian, for oh, the record... Shit. No, but you were on the you were on the Web three train with me, and <laughs> no, I'm um, completely blaming you. You and I, in fact, did a project together to help a company understand how to become a Web three publisher. So, or yeah, to build a media brand around the idea. So I don't know you what should... you're talking about. I was always skeptical and cynical about all these weird. Ooh, my 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 answer to that is not that interesting. I think it's more nuanced. But you know, I think it's all going to be the money is definitely going to flow into AI. Yeah. Well, I think AI is a good starting point, Brian, if that's okay with but, you. But wait, like, Alex, I want to talk more about that because it sounds like you're saying, because you're, you're our Silicon Valley uh, representative here, for better or yeah. worse. And obviously, Silicon Valley needs a new, new thing. They can't just spend all of their time on culture war stuff and content moderation on social networks. Hold my beer. <laughs> this, this does, though, at least from my perspective, like, I have not had that many holy shit moments in you know, with new technology advancements really since, you know, the iPhone, this is, it, it seems like it to me, but do you see evidence that this is like another like bubble that's going to be constructed? No, no I, I think web three and crypto was somewhat of a distraction where I don't, I don't think the technology is going to go anywhere. I think it's just going to become part of the plumbing, but it's not like you could see, you know, you saw a lot of the crypto stuff and say, okay, here's a bunch of use cases of shit we couldn't do before or things we're going to replace with this, right? It was a lot of interesting technology with not without a very coherent vision of what products you would create off them, if that makes sense. Like, sure, there'll be yeah. things that are created with crypto that you couldn't do before, but it's not the same thing as, you know, the first time you sent an email or the first time you typed in a web address, right? It wasn't, it was never that... Or, or even the first time you had code running on the web with with JavaScript, right? I think the real this marks this this marks the kind of the start of the real next phase of the internet, and it's going to, you know, destroy a lot of value. It's going to create a lot of value. There's going to be thousands of startups. If if you could start, you know, all of a sudden you could start things like Uber or Airbnb when Google Maps came out. Imagine the amount of startups that were just invented out okay. of thin air with this. GPT chat. All right. So I so it's like a typical Silicon Valley story. Like this is like a quote unquote game changer. At the same time, it's gonna be pretty easy to put like a AI plus some other concept and raise a bunch of money because oh, like, yeah. that's, that's gonna, how it all works. There's gonna be a lot right. of stupid shit. All right, I'm raising for my AI B2B media company. You want AI you want twenty million dollars? Just put AI and a couple of words together. All right, that's a little cynical. Troy, you're you're known as, you know, the the techno utopian of this group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you like, the, you like the comfort the powerful, afflict the afflicted. It's true. I do like to cheer for power. I don't know what you're asking me, but I, <laughs> I, I, I did, uh, I do think it's a, you know, I think our audience would appreciate it if we could reflect for a moment on what the impacts will be, you know, a year, two, three, four, yeah. five years out on media, specifically media and, and obviously it's relative advertising because a minute ago I started to write a list of them 
of the things that will potentially happen on account of AI. And it started in a meeting I had today. And I was thinking, I was talking to a guy that ran digital for a small media company. And, you know, he was struggling with, they're in 20 markets and they have a very small editorial team. And they're struggling with the shift from, you know, a kind of print centric to a digital centric business and not having enough investment to compete meaningfully on the digital side. And, and I was just, you know, chatting with the guy and I was like, well, he doesn't really have a choice around AI. He has to do it. And it occurred to me in that moment that a understanding playing with building AI into your, your processes as an editorial organization will become as important as say any other practice that we built over the years, whether it was doing social or, you know, creating content for Google people that use AI in smart ways will have an advantage and it will therefore force everybody to understand what it means to their content creation process. So just to make that put, make it a little more specific when much, much of the content that's created in our world is very, you know, is pretty basic. Like there's a lots of, lots of points, points of view and perspective and all of that, but a lot of it is service oriented, whether that's, you know, how to get a, a, a grease stain off of my shirt to, you know, you know, what to do with a screaming baby. And AI is perfectly good at writing that kind of content. And so we've seen that and we've all been surprised by how shockingly good some of the responses coming out of the open AI chatbot are. And people are going to figure out I mean, it's, it's really interesting to think about what the consequence of this is because much of what was created by, by humans in editorial organizations can now be created by a robot. So it's going to happen. And so if that's the starting point, a lot can be created. So what does that do to the people that used to do that? Where's the value now? And I think that's worth us discussing. Can you react yes. to that, Brian? Uh, well... <laughs> Look, I mean, this is called people versus algorithms. So this, you know, we're probably going to end up framing this as people versus AI. I am hopeful to, to some degree that this is going to augment people and not actually replace people. I think it's going to replace a lot of road work. But I look at I look at other times where automation technology came in and programmatic has not replaced. It's replaced some sellers for sure. Right. But like. I go on seller crowd regularly and like everyone's always looking for ad, ad sellers and you know, maybe this will be a little bit different, but I think next year it's going to be who's going to be able to harness AI to augment, to be more efficient, you know, and it's also going to be the year of a lot of hand wringing that like, Oh, this is the end of creativity and whatnot. But I generally, I don't think that it ends up being that way. Well, I don't, I don't think I suggested that it eliminates people. I'm saying it changes their role. Well, you said that it, robots are going to do what a lot of people in editorial organizations do. I th figured that's usually going to replace them then if it's, aren't they? Well, it will mean that other, that there are skills that become more valuable. So point of view becomes more important and 
packaging may become more important and creating connections between different ideas may become more important and writing queries that that juxtapose different ideas in interesting ways become more important but a lot yeah. of people write really basic content and that's not going to be a thing anymore yeah no. so, okay well those people are going to get the middle always gets squeezed but i think yeah. i don't even know if this content will need to exist in the future and so let me that's another way of looking at it, Alex. I think that's really yeah. that's a really smart way of framing it. Because this service content is not going to be done by publishers. It's going to be done by chat, GPT, and all the other ones, right? And I think it's going to... I, I think it might actually, uh, optimistically, I think it might break a lot of the things that are currently really wrong with the internet. So it'll definitely break the UX of the search engine plus ads, it mm -hmm. will break the idea that you need to create these long winding articles at the beginning of, of a recipe. So you can, thank yeah. God that's and, and scourge. And instead it will force, nobody will tolerate a UX that has all these, you know, kind of gaps in, in the information and will want the answer, the answer to be pulled out. So my guess is that there will be in the next couple of years, there will be a sea, a flood of AI generated content that will break everything. And it's uh, going to be messy and weird next year. Oh, super I think messy. it's going to be yeah. like very, but one of the things that I was thinking the other, the other night is about the monetization of something like chat GPT. They, I, I don't know if that's a good brand or a bad brand. We can talk about that later, but I thought what would be really cool is if they trained the AI just exclusively on like marketers and how marketers talk and how they think of the world. And so like the ads will be like a marketer robot, like their view on the world. I haven't well, totally you, fleshed where, it out. Where, where would you even put that ad? I, I, I think there's, there's like we were talking about Tabula the other day. How did, how do these things work in, in a world where you ask an AI for information? Oh, Two they're fine. Times. They're fine. Well, they're titillating. Well, here, it's titillating. Well, hear me out. Hear me out. There's really three ways that you can have access information on, on, on the internet, right? You type in a destination, right? And that could be you type in CNN and then you click your way into a link. You search for an answer, like how do I do X? Or you stumble upon it across some, some form of feed, right? And I think a lot of these kind of imply that you can kind of feed uh, ads into whatever flow you have because the flow is bumpy and messy and slow, right? But if the box is just a box where you ask something and you said, tell me the news, give me this recipe, blah, 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 then there's less kind of meandering around and less space for things like Taboola to exist. I think this is an existential threat for them and for Google. Because even if they have... more the, of an existential threat for Google. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think we will tolerate... I think users are going to get used to getting answers and will not tolerate the mess that exists today. Yeah, I guess it's so obvious the disruption opportunities for competitors of Google because it's pr it's pretty easy now to completely disrupt their business model, and I think that I I don't I don't really know what goes on in Google when the, when they're trying to figure out what I mean they could have been more disruptive themselves, but I think have been very careful on account of pressure from regulators and antitrust folks, et cetera, because extracting 
information from articles and returning it inside of the SERP, the search response page, is is a pretty easy thing to do. And they've done it with weather, they've done it with movie listings, they've done it with sports scores, they've done it with lots of things. And so increasingly, well, they call it something, it's called the Google box or whatever the box is at the top that gives you mm-hmm. the, you know, now that is the response, right? For the most part, they don't, it doesn't have to be a pointer, yeah. it can actually be the answer. And so lots of people are going to take that opportunity to try to innovate around how you package information up in response to a query. And it's going to, obviously it upends the Google business model and it's going to be, it's going to be really interesting to watch. Yeah. But like, not to be all conspiracy GNN here, but like, they probably have one of these sitting in the garage, right? Like, I don't, I just do not believe that this existential challenge that they were not working on this and just decided that's true. But that's the point I was making, Brian, that's the point I was making because even if they had it in the garage, which they needed to still point you to places on the internet for two reasons. One is it was part of their business model. The second is, is the more they do to pull value from the people that they're pointing at, the more they're going to face pressure from all kinds of people that they're overstepping. Maybe it's because I'm a designer, but I think everything is user experience at the end of the day. And I can guarantee that Google has something with DeepMind that you know, matches or even beats what ChatGPT can do. That doesn't matter. The main thing is that they're going to they're going to be forced to change the flow of search. Yes. And and they won't be able to shove ads into it. It's as simple as that. Or they'll need so, to find a new way to shove ads into it. So next year is the biggest threat to Google since I mean what is their I'm gonna check. Has their stock actually been impacted by I don't think so. No, not yet, no. It still prints money. I think Ask.com was destroyed by Google, and now Google is going to get destroyed by whatever this next version of Ask.com is. Yeah. we got to have Jim Lanzone. Jim, if you're listening, you got to come on and talk about like Ask.com yep. and the long fight. The, uh, let's, so I think we can check the box on the Google's going to face new challenges thing for next year. I just typed in a query into GPT-3 or into whatever it's called, Ask GPT. It's a better name than chat. Write a review of the iPhone 14 in the style of the great Walt Mossberg, who is, if you're old enough, you'll remember he was the sort of straight talking with a little bit of humor, Wall Street Journal technology critic reporter. Yeah. And I always loved Walt Mossberg. And uh, and it was amazing. I got the response back, and it was a clear three-paragraph review of the phone. It's going to be interesting in generative art how people that have a distinct illustrative style, for example, are like, hey, wait a minute, you're instructing the robot to make something that is influenced by my work or my IP. Increasingly, you're going to be able to write in the style of a New Yorker article or write in the style of, you know, you know, an individual. And is that protectable? Is that something that will, you know, change how we think about intellectual property? Brian, you, you spent the week making fun of the buried lead in the, you know, the New Yorker review of Puck. 
But you know, basic things like just copy editings. Does it exist anymore, Brian? If AI can correct Alex's code, no. it can certainly. I mean, Grammarly, it's Grammarly itself. Like you know, started down the road to to copy editing not mattering anymore. And like, I like copy editors. They're they're all very strange people. Like almost all of them are strange because like they obsess over some you know, small little, like, you know, very technical thing with language that doesn't really matter for the most part many times. But, you know, they've always been the first to go in editorial organizations when you're making cuts. I remember we did like a anonymous Q&A with like a laid off copy editor and it was basically about that. So yeah, it's going to replace a lot of functions. I, I have no doubt about that. One of the things that I, I wanted to talk about is the impact it will have on culture. And I maybe it'll be like minimal in 2023, but I think long, I think one of the parts that I find interesting is this could be this could go hand in hand with ending the sort of like culture war of like tech versus whoever they're against and stuff. Because the anti-tech sentiment that they claim exists and maybe it exists in some like this is one where I feel like people can are they're excited by it. They're scared by it, but just about everyone who I've talked to about it and it comes up at dinners all the time and stuff. And and that's fine in some circles, but I'm sure that's the case in many other circles is people are excited, you know? And, and I think it's been a little while that people have been regular people outside the tech industry or people who get rich off of tech have been like excited by a technological development. Like, Holy shit, this is, we're seriously living in the future. I mean, we haven't had why, that in a while. Why Why do you think people are excited about it? Because the first time you use it or experience it, you're like, I can't believe that a computer can do this. Like, when was the last time you had that feeling? Like, I don't have that. I sort of take stuff that I wouldn't have taken for granted like 20 years ago. Like, yeah, you just take it all for granted. S something clicks whenever you actually use something for yourself and see it... <clears throat> do its thing, right? The first time you might have heard about email, but the first time you sent an email, the first time you typed in a URL, and it kind of opens up a whole world of things you can do with this and how it's going to change the world. I think this is a moment where you realize that, you know, a lot of the things that we felt were uniquely, that humans were uniquely capable of doing, is, is it's no longer the case. And you can kind of <laughs> plot a line there. And you I mean, that's why it's like... If anything gets like people together, it's like having like, oh shit, now we've got some, maybe we should like organize ourselves a little bit better because we've got like, this is like, whatever, True. it was like Game of Thrones True. when they were like, oh, we're fighting over all these little things, the river run and whatnot. And it's like, have you seen this night do you worry? Do you worry about, you know, someone made the point, I think yesterday that, you know, the it was brilliant and amazing. You probably saw the documentary where DeepMind beat the, you know, Go Master at a very complicated game. And we marveled at that. And the computer made incredible, you know, strategic decisions that, that uh, seem to, you know, in incredible ways imitate the human mind. But the thing about Go is you can, you can, you can rank and rate each of the moves that are made as either being, you know, either winning or losing. There's a, there's a, you know, there's a mechanic in place that says this is right or this is wrong. And in generating text, 
there's in many cases there's no right or wrong right there's no system that can kind of measure whether or not it's actually done its job so it, it's it's interesting to me that how much opportunity there is for just a massive amount of misinformation because you know the it's not that the perhaps that the facts are wrong it's that the important things aren't highlighted in a way that someone who really understood the subject matter would highlight important things and their consequences. Yeah. So sometimes if you're looking at really complicated responses now or, or with, you know, with AI, you know, it's like it kind of got it right, but never, re but it wasn't right because it understand context sufficiently and didn't, it, it just didn't, it didn't appreciate subject matter like an expert would. Yeah. I, but do you think that this will lead to more, I feel like tech has been almost viewed as like politically divisive. Like, I just wonder whether or not this ends up becoming similarly divisive in that there's two camps and you already see people like talk about algorithms. I think a lot of these, like these, these tech guys on Twitter are like actually AI because like everything is shoehorned into their existing program and it's just spits out the same shit. Like New York Times is down and it's like, oh my God, like can anything like happen that doesn't just conveniently confirm what you've been talking about on your six hour podcast? But I, I just wonder whether or not that this ends up, I think it's going to be a little bit resistant to falling into the us versus them, like narratives of tech versus media and stuff like that. Maybe I didn't articulate that well. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess your point is that this is that people that a broad group, a uh, broad part of our population can be, will feel optimistic about this technology. Is that what you're saying? I think that a broad group of people will be optimistic about the technology, but I think the technology itself does not conveniently fit into a lot of the narratives for lack of a better word that have been swirling around tech and its place within the broader society. Like, it's become very political between like this like libertarian techno utopian side that you represent on this podcast and you know the rest of <laughs> touching grass so to speak all right well this is a great moment then because we can now be uh, we can now find common ground in our optimism around ai i, I mean, I, I, mean I think i think optimism might not be the right word i think it's definitely something Right? I don't know if it's going to be better or not. It feels like a momentous event, and it feels like media is going to be changed by it before a lot of other you know, industries do. Oh, yeah. I'm going to wade into something here that I need your help with because it's not clear in my mind, but I want to pull at it a little bit. So I guess beginning with 20 years ago with the internet that removed limitations on creating and publishing content. We saw, I guess, net an explosion in the amount of content created and the number of content creators. And with social media, we saw, particularly when the tools matured, we saw the same happen in, say, for example, in video, where everybody became an editor, everybody became a video creator. And more and more of our lives became content. Everything kind of became content. And with that, 
a lot of content becomes less valuable in a traditional sense where I think many content creators feel like if they create something, it ought to be read that they're entitled to have an audience and that, <clears throat> that their content is worth something to either an advertiser or a reader. Right. So that's kind of media, right? There was a cost to creating it and there was a limit on attention and well on distribution and attention. And so now steadily, and this is a moment of like, this is a real shift where content can just be created for that much less. And so much so that it's just kind of like literally abundance on demand. It's just like tons and tons and tons of content. And just like we're making this podcast, like, you know, 20 years ago, we wouldn't have had a radio station. And I wonder what, how does that play out? Because it doesn't matter whether it's, you know, storytelling via video or audio or text. It's just, it's, there's more of it. It's cheaper. There's more people making it. And now there's people making it that aren't even people. They're robots. And, and I'm so obviously it's going to place a premium on the human side, on originality, on new thought, on point of view, on all of that. But where are we going? All this stuff fits together, you guys, because basically that type of content that as little as, you know, five years ago was considered to be innovative and, you know, Buzzfeed raised hundreds of millions of dollars around and built large audience and sold lots of advertising is not valuable. We're on a path somewhere. And I'm just trying to get my head around, like, what does this mean to media? Like, what is media in the future? And where's the value? Well, I mean, like, the, the value of a lot of media is, is probably going to go to zero over a long enough time horizon. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, like, I agree with Alex, like, people just want good shit, right? And I think there's going to be something in the back of people's minds, like, oh, or actually, I don't think it. Like, people aren't going to be like, oh, well, this is putting out of work some content creators. <laughs> like, they don't care. They just want, like, good shit. They want to find out, like, the answer to their question. They want to, like, you know, none of, no publisher, no media company, no company, like, has some right to exist in perpetuity or to have their business model, you know, just continue uh, as is. So unless like there's some case for government to come in and put onerous regulations on AI because they want to support a craft media economy. I mean, look, this is the same way Europe treats mechanized agriculture totally different, I believe, than we do. Is this right? Alex, you're a resident European too. He's a resident of lots of things. <laughs> Maybe there are ways to regulate or slow it down or create moats around specific type of content. But I do think that to choice question, things are going to change. And I think maybe what we define as media, which is content that is intentionally created and packaged and sold in some sort of way, I think what we define it that might get smaller and the things that are kind of like bread and butter for a lot of media companies, which is, you know, aggregation, you know, information cataloging, uh, just basic knowledge delivery, that stuff might become really difficult to make money off, right? And will be 
potentially owned mm-hmm. by the companies that yeah. own the AI. But like, what, so- it, it's, it's interesting to go through, Brian, yeah. and to literally check off all the you know, types of media that, that we understand as distinct types, even down at the kind of, you know, well, I mean, what happens to news? Where's the premium in news, right? Someone still has to gather the news. Someone still has to report on the news. The robots aren't going to report on the news. Although... I, you, I don't know if that's true. That may not be true. Because there's you, a lot of forms. My first job that I didn't get in journalism was to like be one of those people who... I, I failed the writing test at Dow Jones Newswires because it was too stressful. Like I had like 45 seconds to rewrite like an earnings release and I screwed up a number or something like that. That job is already done by humans. So I guess it's good that I didn't go down that path. But you could foresee even live news being an AI that watches the social feeds and creates a right. pretty right. precise yeah. description of what's going on. And not to, just- be all, not to be all six-hour podcast Balaji or something like that, but... Like with more information, if you want to bring in crypto stuff, like being like on chain and stuff like this, there is going to be like, you can see like a world where a lot of what we consider quote unquote reporting now is definitely done by AI. Right. So then if you go through the rest, I mean, just go through the parts yeah, of the magazine as let's an example. Okay. Right. So, so, so you've got like, what's a classic, you know, magazine content type, like the celebrity interview. I think the celebrity and real conversations like that will remain valuable because we're interested in the person and that is that remains but like the more human stuff will be fine like that's just more human right like you're not like a lot of a lot of the service content is going away but like you can't have you can't feel a human connection with some kind of celebrity through like an artificially created synthetic interview with them. It might not be an interview, but I mean, even I read a, you know, our friend, I think, you know, Dan Fromer, he has a just emailing with him today. Oh, that's interesting. He's got that. He he does a a report on the kind of state of the consumer with a, I think a venture firm. Anyway, I read it. And one of the things that stood out to me is that Gen Z would rather spend an hour with TikTok than they would watching television. I mean, that surprises so, you? no, it doesn't surprise me. It just suggests that mm-hmm. people making content on their phones delivered a fragmented content stream delivered with an algorithm is more appealing than to, to many people or certainly competes materially with produced content on the television. Right. So, that's kind of like your your point about news gathering in a different way where you know there's lots of people that have firsthand communication around an event and the robots aggregate it make sense of it synthesize it etc deliver it to you in something that's useful and readable mm-hmm. and that undermines the value of media or you know you don't need to report on <clears throat> you know Intel's earnings in a quarter because yeah. it can synthesize the quarterly call and turn it into something that that's you know useful to you where you just get the highlights, yeah. which is what I mean, the reporter would have done before. There's there's the, so, there's the structure of a media company that's put, that's threatened, right? Like why why that's does kind that of what I'm saying? I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, I don't think that I think the future of media is likely smaller. Like I don't see any real case that it's not. 
right? Like, well, I mean, I think, there'll be I masses think... of people feeding like these algorithms, right? Like, I mean, you're that that's that's fine. They'll they'll you know that's right, gonna well. I don't I, I don't I, think I, it's smaller. I think the surface I area so. is way bigger. Yeah, way bigger. I think um, Brian, when you say media, it's a little bit media like, organizations. Sorry, right? Like but companies. it's the same way. It's the same way as if you were saying the size of the media industry and its printing presses are smaller, right? Like the industry is going to fundamentally change. I think media itself will be bigger than ever. It's just the models that the structures for media companies will need to change. There's less importance placed the size of them or even maybe their access. I think there's going to be more, more and more reliance on individual contributors that sit outside the organization. <clears throat> and until the organization maybe even becomes totally useless. Like, why do I care if an AI scans the entire collective content that humanity creates every day, every night for me, and when I wake up in the morning, it just tells me, oh, here's something that Brad Pitt said in an interview that might be of interest to you, because I know you like cats, and he talked about cats. I don't even care. That Wait, Brad, Brad Pitt likes cats? I don't fucking know. Uh, or dogs. I think he's more of a dog guy, but but you know, then but then it creates a stream of information that has all the bits and pieces of what I like. The same way, the same way TikTok does it with video, right? Yeah. I I wonder, and on TikTok, I genuinely care very little for what the source is. You know, that's yeah, what that TikTok was has the, shown us. Right, yeah. and that was the big breakdown in trying to make Instagram TikTok. Because Instagram's model, navigational model, was about your friend network, images that you wanted to see from people that you knew, and video breaks that completely. Because all the only important metric with video, for the most part, is are you entertained? Yeah, I would say even YouTube is still stuck in a model where it's very channel-based, and they haven't broken out of that model yet for the traditional videos. That changes, potentially. Especially so, the, re the recompiling, right? The re-editing of video, the re-editing of text, of audio, so that you can get the information fed to you in whichever medium you like. You know, right now we're recording a podcast, but more and more I started listening to articles that are read out by an AI voice, right? I have Snoop Dogg reading all my articles. I can choose between Snoop Dogg or Gwyneth Paltrow on, on this app I use. Hmm. And it's essentially a podcast, right? Do you like the way Snoop reads you an article? You know, it makes the news feel a little less fucking dire. Does he get a cut on that? Yeah. That's yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. Like, I mean, so that's like, it shows that you want to have like a human involved, even if like peripherally. Yes. It's, it's, <laughs> I'm, I'm remixing all the content, right? Meanwhile, the communism movement has combined American nationalism with praise for another authoritarian leader despised by most Americans. China's Xi Jinping, alienating mainstream voters by race. I don't know about his <laughs> pronunciation of Xi, but... That's <laughs> good enough for me, man. Good enough for me. <laughs> well, maybe we should start to kind of tidy this up for the listener. Yeah. Yes. And, and Let, Let's tidy it up this way. I, 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 like, what if... Just to put an end to this, the part about, like, a media company. Like, all right, you're back, like, running a media company. What do you do? Nothing. I mean, does this stuff like, you know, is this just like, well, we can't control it. Like it's still too no, far out. No, I think that what this conversation would suggest is a, you admit that AI is going to change your editorial process and the way you need to 
train, hire, uh, and deploy content talent. So you start to figure out where it intersects with the way you create media, where the value is and where it isn't. You probably change the way you think about what talent you need in your company. You probably lean towards building a network of really distinguished voices, which is something that's been happening for a while. Uh, I would say that you admit that the fight to protect the surface area of your media and therefore its value, for example, as a brand advertising medium is completely gone. So you realize that for the most part, you deliver performance as an advertising partner or you're not creating value. I mean, that's just got to happen, right? The more media there is, the more pressure there is on performance uh, as a, as a you know, valuation or a creation of advertising value. You probably try to look at the things you have, like what is super unique about your brand or your voice that enables you to train a data set or train a model and, and do something with your IP, like ha- just like basically Snoop is taking his IP there and applying it as, you know, a distinct kind of voice on top of other people's mutual content. How would you, how could you possibly do that? And uh, you probably look, Brian, at the same time to be credibly lean, right? So that you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're not wasting money anywhere and storytelling I don't, you know, it's interesting you, you, what you would do as a production company or as a, a company that, that creates video content. That stuff is going to be more and more valuable, I think. The stuff that, that, that attracts audience that's created by charismatic people that the audience wants to get close to. So you would, you'd invest there. But I think it's going to be extremely difficult for a lot of people that created content in an old way around brands. Do you see maybe media companies turning into more of what looks like a talent agency? Oh, this is Jared Dicker's thing. Got to get Jared in here. That's the, like the media company is like record label kind yeah. of thing. Right. I mean, I think it could like accelerate like the existing trends. I mean, it usually accelerates existing trends. I think if this thing hits next year during like what looks to be like a pronounced media recession, at least in the first half of the year, that's going to be tough. What is the content that you think the scale of a New York Times allows them to uniquely create? Forget distribution for a second, but what is it that what is something that the New York Times can uniquely create? I mean, they have the most reporters. It's like having the most engineers. I think that competitive advantage goes down. Yeah. I mean, having the most reporters is not going to to be the same competitive advantage that it was before this all happened i don't well they'll put the ai to good use this week when a thousand of them walk out in a in a strike oh the strike we're not going to get into the strike stuff are we doing uh are we doing good product Good product. Yeah, I got a good product. What do you got? I'm not a germaphobe. Uh, but I, I got to say... every germaphobe says. I'm not a germaphobe at all, but I, I do get grossed out by lifting up a, like a peed-on toilet seat, like particularly <laughs> on, an air, on an airplane. Yeah. And uh, 
it's just gross. It makes me not want to lift the seat and just kind of aim and yeah. make you know, just you do can that. use your foot, but it's still gross. Yeah. So what I you know I appreciate it. I noticed when I was on the plane this week that there are two sort of handy dandy tabs, one on each side uh, on on the side of the the toilet seat that hopefully don't have piss all over them mm. and make it easy to lift the seat up uh, without touching the area that people soil. So I wondered why we don't have tabs on every toilet seat, these kind of t- tabs to, to, to lift up the seat that are off to the side where they're not getting sprayed. And uh, I thought that, that that's maybe an oversight of the toilet industry that we should have tabs in our homes on toilet seats it's a good problem i feel like japanese toilets probably have this i'm trying to remember i've never seen them on japanese toilets. i don't know why we refuse to innovate on toilets i've also used one in germany i think we had a little foot pedal for lifting the seat which is great yeah that's a good idea too yeah. yeah 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 just a little pedal like you know the way it's been used on trash cans for over 100 years bed on a toilet that's smart i like that kind of like old school like automation like how japanese like taxis like they they press a button that opens the door and closes the door and i always find japan is like the it's like the future if it was imagined in 1982 there's lots of like tech innovations that are not like super modern anyway yeah i wonder how we can have an episode without us disagreeing about Elon, it feels like there was less energy there. He sucks. He sucks the out of the room. Even when I thought that was good that there was no Elon Musk. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I was gonna bring it because I did. I share with you guys my like big like galaxy brain theory. It hit me. Oh, so no, I please. think this whole Twitter thing that he's doing, it's all a ploy because what he's really focused on is he thinks he's the only person who can lead the charge of humanity against AI taking over us. And that's his main goal. And he it realizes that the only way that he can do this is to take over politically. And he has to play by the old system. And so he saw how Trump did it and he reverse engineered it. He doesn't believe any of this stuff, really. Some of it he believes and stuff. But his main goal is to get political power so he can be in charge. And he's the only person who can lead the fight against AI. So Elon Musk is Sarah Connor from Terminator Movies. Yes. Yes. And so he's just doing this just because he's like, look at Joe Biden. This guy is not going to be able to like fight the AI fight. And like who Kamala? Like, no, Trump, forget it. Mm. That's why he's implanting chips into Pence's AI. (laughs) Pence could easily be replaced by AI. Yeah. Pence is like four paragraphs of a four (laughs) paragraphs of a Bible class put into an AI. That's all it's got to work with. (laughs) I, yeah, I, I like but that. I do. That's a super do long think, game, though, isn't it? Like if he was doing that. I do think. I don't know if there's. Yeah, that's true. But uh, just speaking about Twitter for a second, I do feel that uh, things like Twitter might actually become. And I've changed my mind about this, but it might actually become more valuable as the data set and the real time data set will become hugely valuable with AI, and and that could be. It could actually def- be the future of news. That it's something that's scanning twitter and twitter can give or revoke access to 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 whoever it wants so it might actually be valuable to have you know 300 million micro reporters you know making news and 
that becoming the source. He might I mean, win reporters have been using Twitter as the assignment desk for like a going on like five plus years at this point. Sure, sure. But I so, think if... This yes, is a I logical mean, next step of eliminating the reporters who are right. doing that. But I think that that's an excellent point, Alex, and it fits in with this whole, you know, idea that the aggregation is going to change uh, massively with advances in AI and Twitter's going to feed it. Yeah. And, and in it, its data becomes incredibly value and valuable and differentiated. So what a great way to end a great episode. You know, but I it was uh, a good episode. I, I thought it was great, man. It really helped me uh, think about this stuff, and I think that I don't think you should be totally dismissive of the piss tabs because <laughs> they're useful. Yeah, is this Delta? This seems like a Delta thing. It was it was American. Oh, really? I it was only Delta in the first class first class bathroom. Oh, oh, see, I don't. That's why I don't know about it. <laughs> economy doesn't I, get piss tabs. <laughs> I, I premium economy. I do premium economy. Economy doesn't get them. I get uh, I get complimentary upgrades on Delta thanks to my loyalty. All right, well, take us home. Except for the bullshit, like I get the upgrades on like the Miami flight because it's like two and a half hours. It's a bullshit upgrade. You get like an extra four inches of uh, space. All right, let's leave it there. This is a good episode. I like this. Next week, we are going to be... What are we addressing next week? Tease it. Tease it. Alex, what are we doing? People versus what next week? Next week, we have people versus streaming. (laughs) People versus streaming. (laughs) Streaming versus people. Well, we'll need those piss taps for that. All right, let's leave it there. And uh, next week, we're going to be continuing this uh, year-end series by taking a look ahead... uh, for the streaming market um, and what to expect in 2023. So be sure to listen to us then. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Alex. Thank you for doing this. So fun. Thank you both. Big thanks to Troy, Alex, and our podcast editor, Jay Sparks of Pod Help Us. A reminder, please do send me your feedback on the show. You can email me at bmarsi at gmail.com. And to leave the show a rating on Apple and Spotify. And if you're using Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review there. I hope it's nice, and I hope the ratings are five stars.